So, those of you who were here last week hopefully will remember that we had Caleb speaking to us, and he gave us a bit of an introduction on what was coming up this month. Caleb is away this weekend on a wholeness retreat, which is a part of his training, so be thinking of him. But this month, in August, it is our AGM month, so we're leading up to the AGM at the end. And so in these weeks leading up, we're going to be focusing forward, focusing on where God is leading us, where God is at work, and considering the vision that God has given us. And last week, Caleb spoke from the book of Habakkuk. He spoke about Habakkuk and what happened in his short little book. And he unpacked for us the nature of God's vision that was given to Habakkuk and what Habakkuk learned about it. The points that Caleb brought forward from the text were that God's vision is not always our vision. God's vision can be beyond our understanding and that God's vision takes time. And then Caleb, he shared about his vision for his ministry project that he is going to undertake as a part of his training. And so Caleb is going to focus on hospitality and ministry to newcomers, specifically to youth, young adults, young families who come along, as he's identified this area as one where God is already at work. And he would like to be a part of ensuring that we care for those people well. And so today I'm going to build a little on the points that Caleb drew out of the story of the prophet Habakkuk regarding the nature of God's vision. And as I've said, this month is all about us looking forward, about us considering where God is leading us and considering the vision that he has for us. But before we consider our own situation, I want to have a look at another example from the Bible where vision has been given by God. So if you can open with me to Jeremiah chapter 29, and I will read from verse 11. So from verse 11 it says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Amen. I mean, that's all the vision that we need, isn't it? This verse pretty much sums it up, don't you think? And how nice is that vision? God has plans for us. Plans that he knows that he is sure of. And those plans, well, they're good plans. They're plans to give us a future and a hope good plans, to see us prosper. What more could we ask for in a vision? It seems like, I mean, the perfect vision, if I'm honest. And in this case, I mean, if we take what Habakkuk apparently learned from the vision that God gave to him, I'm like, well, I don't really see what his issue is, because when I look at this verse, I would be quite happy to say that it runs closely to my own vision, I mean, if I were to state a vision for my own life, I'm sure it would include goodness and hope and future and certainly not disaster. And so I would think that this, you know, runs fairly closely to what I'd want. And I think this vision is pretty easy for me to understand. This vision, it's all just good vibes, isn't it? 
And I mean, that's so understandable. That's so sort of what what you want, really. That maybe you know, maybe I could have this in a picture on the wall, or maybe I could write this verse on my mirror. Maybe I could have it on my phone as my screensaver. I mean, last week even, I sat next to a pastor at our regional hui, and he had it embossed on the front of his leather diary. While he was making his plans, he was reminded that God's plans were already perfected for him. And I mean, lastly, if Habakkuk was worried about vision taking time, I mean, if this vision takes time, I don't really mind, because this vision is about goodness, isn't it? Because as long as it's good times, it doesn't matter if it's long times too. I mean, did Habakkuk, did he not kind of notice this more rosier vision for his life? Because I'm sure if he did, he wouldn't have done so much complaining. But we'll just hold up just a moment, because I said I would read from Jeremiah 29. But then I jumped straight there to verse 11. And I mean, I did that because this is a good verse. This is a well-known verse. And it speaks of goodness, and it speaks of the faithfulness of God to us. But verses in Scripture, we must remember, they don't just stand alone. They're flanked by other verses. They stand alongside other passages, other stories. And if we jump to conclusions, if we just jump into this verse or that, the picture that we painted is like just a slice of the whole thing. And so today, I'm going to read a bit more. Let's start from the beginning of Jeremiah 29, and I'll read from verse 1 through to verse 14, so that we can paint a bigger picture. So starting at verse 1 this time, Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, priests, prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This was after King Jehoiakim, the queen mother, the court officials, the other officials of Judah, and all the craftsmen and artisans had been deported from Jerusalem. He sent the letter with Elisa, son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, when they went to Babylon as King Zedekiah's ambassadors to Nebuchadnezzar. This is what Jeremiah's letter said. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams, because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, 
They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. The rest of Jeremiah 29 then goes on to address specifically some false prophets who were in their midst in Babylon. They were spreading misinformation to God's people, making false promises in God's name, even though they didn't even listen to God. So God, he had some choice words for them. But this start, this complete start to Jeremiah 29, does in fact paint us a bit more of a picture than what just verse 11 does, doesn't it? Reading Jeremiah 29 from the start is actually quite helpful as the opening verses allow us to place this story or this prophecy in Scripture. Jeremiah is writing to the elders, the priests, the prophets, all of God's people who had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. Jeremiah had tried to warn the people earlier that this might happen. He had tried to steer them in the right direction, but the people just wouldn't listen, and they met this fate. They found themselves exiled, God's people scattered through foreign lands, and of course, they were naturally keen to get home. But the message that Jeremiah receives from the Lord to share with God's people is possibly not what they were expecting. As Caleb said last week, God's vision is not always our vision. And it would be fair to say that what Jeremiah passes on to them in verses 4 to 7 isn't quite what they were thinking would happen. God tells his people to settle down and to settle in. He tells them to build homes, plan to stay, plant produce, marry, have children, have grandchildren as well. He tells them to work for the peace and prosperity of Babylon, the city that they've been exiled to, and to pray for that city, for its welfare will determine their welfare. So God's people, they've been rudely shoved out of their own home, forced into a foreign land, and now all God has to say about this is, make yourselves at home. I can imagine God's people were likely a little taken aback by this. Because not only are they told to make themselves at home, God suggests that they would pray for this foreign city, that they would sort of invest in the well-being of this city, that they might care for this city as the city cares for them. And I mean, it just sounds outlandish. But God's vision is for them, that his people would face their exile, that they would make their home in this new foreign land, and that they would seek the best of their situation, that they would seek peace and prosperity in this place. Remember, God's vision is not always our vision. And then in verses 8 and 9, God warns his people against the false prophets that are spreading lies, spreading misinformation to his people. 
They don't listen to God, these false prophets, but they're happy to stamp his name on anything. These false prophets try to cast their own vision. They tell of their own dreams. And God's people, they're being sucked in through their own wishful thinking. Don't let them trick you, warns God. Don't listen to their dreams, for I have not sent them. The picture that these false prophets painted, the vision that they gave, probably sounded pretty alluring because it told a lot of the people what they wanted to hear. It might have seemed more reasonable, made more sense to them, but at the end of the day, their messages didn't come from God. So it was in no way true, and therefore there was no basis on it, and these people could get lost down these paths of lies. So God had to remind them who to listen to. God's vision, after all, is God's vision. It's not born or created from our human understanding. It comes forth from God and God alone, whose ways are higher than our ways and thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God's vision can be beyond our understanding. It doesn't always make sense to us the first time we hear it, maybe the second time even. And we've established it's not always what we want to hear. But that is because God can see beyond what we can see. He knows the intricacies of our future, and he knows what we need, not just what we want. So let us not be fooled by those who promise the world but deliver nothing. Instead, let us trust in the one who transcends all understanding, the one who can sustain our every need. And then we come to our favorite verse, verse 11, the verse that can bring great comfort, the verse worthy of embossing on the front of a leather diary. And while this verse is certainly both comforting and worthy of being embossed on a diary, as I mentioned earlier, this verse doesn't stand alone. It is flanked by verse 10, and then on the other side, verses 12 to 14. And in its entirety, the Lord says, You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. Caleb said last week that God's vision takes time. And if verse 10 is anything to go by, then taking time might be a bit of an understatement. Seventy years God's people would be in Babylon before all the good things God had promised would come. Seventy years they would be exiled in Babylon before God will bring them home again. I guess plenty of time for them to get settled, to have children and grandchildren. But this 70-year blow 
that flows straight into the promise that God has got plans for them. Good plans to bring them hope and a future that will steer them clear of disaster. Along with a physical restoration, along with a literal homecoming, there will also be a spiritual restoration, a spiritual homecoming to God. In verse 12, God says, When you pray, I will listen to you. And then verses 13 and 14, When you look wholeheartedly, you will find me. God will end their captivity and he will restore their fortunes. God's people will be gathered once again, this time out of the places that they'd been banished to. And God will deliver them home to their own land along with a spiritual restoration, along with homecoming to God, there will also be a physical restoration, a literal homecoming. By this point in Jeremiah's message, God's people were probably thinking, oh, finally he gets to the good stuff. Why didn't he just stick with this bit, maybe emboss it in leather for us? But God couldn't just stick with the good bit. He couldn't just give verse 11 as it was and nothing else because if he did, there would be no process. There would be no opportunity for growth or opportunity for learning. Growth and learning take time, just like God's vision does. It's not just a skip to the good part sort of thing. God's vision takes time. For the Israelites in Babylon, they were quite fortunate, in fact, to be given the time frame that they were. God's vision takes time because it is a process. It is an opportunity for growth and for learning, and it doesn't just skip to the good stuff. For those 70 years, God's people would live as foreigners, away from their homeland, But at the end of that time, God would deliver to them what he had promised. For those 70 years, God's people would have to create new lives, away from home, away from all that was familiar. But during that time, they had the opportunity to pray, the opportunity to learn what it was to seek God wholeheartedly. And for those 70 years, God's people would serve a city, That wasn't their own. But God would be found by them. That he would gather them and he would deliver them home. Their fortunes restored to live once again in their own land. God's vision might take time, but it's all just a part of the process. God's vision is not always our vision. God's vision can be beyond our understanding. And God's vision takes time. I've been thinking this week over the the vision that this church has received from God. And now for those who have been here a few years, or even if you haven't, you've probably heard us harping on about our local community. But the reason that we harp on about this is that this is the vision that God has given us. We believe that God has called us and is calling us to reach out into our local community, to go out into the local community just beyond these doors. 
and share the good news of Jesus. We included this in our statement earlier this year to grow an intergenerational community and gospel-based church. Our basis is the gospel. Our focus is our community. And this vision, it is God's vision for this place. It would be easier for us to be insular, to just care for ourselves, to just address what we need and what we like. We wouldn't really have to think of anyone else or what they might need. We wouldn't have to stretch our understanding to include those who are not yet here yet. It would be simple. Those who turn up are those who get cared for, and then we go home and just worry about ourselves. But instead, we are called to look and to live outwardly. We are called to concern ourselves with the needs of others beyond our walls. We are called to think about the future, to think about growth, and about those who are a part of this church, even though they aren't quite here yet. We are called to follow God's vision. And I mean, if I'm being really honest, vision is always something that's tripped me up a little because I'm not a big picture thinker. You give me steps to do something and I can follow them very easily. But when it said, go out into the community, I'm like, oh, that's wonderful. And I think that's very exciting. But I feel a little bit like I've just read Jeremiah 29:11 on its own. I'm looking for a bit more a bit bigger picture. I'm looking for a more concrete something that I can say, oh, yes, I see now where we're headed and what steps we might need to take to get there. Like, what comes before that? Go out into the community. What does that look like? And so maybe for my sake, but hopefully not just for my sake as well, it might be a might be helpful for some of you here. I thought this morning we could spend five minutes just building a more concrete picture together. I've got pens and paper to write stuff down. Don't worry, we're not selling anything. It just was convenient to stick paper to. So, I'll write things on here. Um, if we are to become a church that goes out into our local community, that integrates with its local community, that grows an intergenerational community, what will we see that will let us know that we've got there? What things will be different to now that we'll be able to say, uh-huh, this is where we were headed all along? What will we see? The tape didn't work very well. If you've got an idea, feel free to call it out. Friends in the community. That's a good one. Going to the local dairy might be a longer job.
Right, so what do you think... Okay, well, what do you think are some of the needs of our local community here? Because that's what we're looking at. Mm -hmm. It might not take 70 years. Okay. So should I put, we will know the needs of our community... So when we get there, we will know. Oh, spell it right. I saw a hand down the back. Mm-hmm. He did. I'll put, see the gospel preached in the community. Could look like an alpha course. and I'll do a flow on, we would see people coming to Christ. That's a good one. Mm, that's a good one. Collection of, should I say community makeup? What else could it look like? We would have complaints. We would have complaints. Ooh. <laughs> right, so we would have complaints because we would know God is moving and he isn't afraid of ruffling feathers, is he? That's a that's a good one. Scary one. Is there any? Ooh. I like that. I put it in speech bells, so that's what people say. Nice, and our um, property project, I think, is going to take us a step in that direction, which is exciting. Anything else? 
living word. Because that goes with this one up here about preaching the gospel. Anything else? Freedom? In what sort of sense? Um, Josh has said freedom, and I said in what sense, and he's suggested lots of senses, but from addiction, maybe spiritual freedom, maybe I'll add on to this, maybe like financial freedom as well for some, yeah. Great. Any final thoughts? Empower people. So we'd see people empowered. I like that one. For me, I'd love to see people empowered through simply knowing who they are in Jesus. Knowing that identity. Yes, that's right. That's a pretty good list of things. Experience neighbourly love. Going out to the garden won't just be a quick job, will it? And I hear murmurings over here. Or... Should I put community involvement in events? And then put dinners in brackets? And I'll put etc. because that could have all sorts of things. That's a pretty good list. Please let me know if you want to add to it because there is more space. Leave that there for now. But like as in... I don't know about you, maybe you guys love the big picture thinking, but for me, that's so helpful to now put words on paper that say, this is what it could look like. These are the things that we will see. This is how we will know that we are marching towards 
where God is calling us or marching in what God is calling us. So I hope that makes you excited. And like I said, please let me know if there's more things you think we should add. And I'll probably write it up in a nicer way so we can put it on the screen or something in the foyer for us to be reminded of this is what we're looking for. These are the moments where we'll be like, aha, God, thank you for leading us here. So anyway, next week's part is going to involve talking about how we're going to get here. What are some more concrete steps that we can put in place to make this our reality, to make this what this place looks like? So how going to be sort of answering the question, hopefully, how is God's vision going to come to fruition? I'll let you in on a secret. It will involve a little bit of me, and it'll involve this. This is a notebook. It's very pretty. This is the church directory. So it will involve you, and it will be kanohi kite kanohi, face to face. But that's next week's part, and this is this week. And this week we've talked about God's vision, that it's not ours, that it can be beyond our understanding, and that it takes time. Things like this, they take time to build. And as we close this morning, I want to encourage you over this week to keep thinking about vision. How might you be a part of bringing God's vision to fruition in this place? Here at Ham South, the church in the south of Hamilton who loves its community the south of Hamilton. So let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for what you have shown us. We thank you for your vision. And God, we thank you that it is your vision, that it's not just something that makes us feel warm and fluffy, like it's something that we want to hear, but that it is something that pushes us to go out. It is something that pushes us to share your gospel. And it is something that will see people saved. It is a vision that will see people in this community come to know you. We thank you for that vision, God. May you equip us to be the best partners that we can be with you in making these things come to fruition and making these things become our reality. We thank you, God, for who you are and that you have called us, this church in the south of Hamilton, to be a part of your mission to the world. Thank you, God.